Hello and welcome to Mini Business Adventures. We lift the lid on the UK's businesses because we believe that the best advice comes from the owners and entrepreneurs who have been there, done that and lived to tell the tale. I'm Gordon Rutherford from AXA Business Insurance and today I'm going to be talking to Mike Stevenson and Simon Alterator about starting out and working in the creative industry. Mike runs a creative design agency, Thinktastic, and chairs the Scottish Design Exchange, a not-for-profit that provides retail space and opportunities to today's young, talented and as-yet obscure designers. Simon has experience of being a furniture designer and graphic designer, both in-house and freelance, but is currently a graphic designer at Oliver Agency. So Simon, how did you first get into design? So design was something that was was always around when we were when we were kids. Whether it was uh, you know an appreciation for for dad's record sleeves in the in the record cabinet, or um, you know just the the kind of art that was around the house. I think I uh, was was lucky enough to have have parents who had a little bit of an appreciation for for a good bit of bit of design or a good bit of um, good bit of art here and there. Uh, so there was there was always opportunities for creativity as a result. Uh, yeah, all, all you really need is a, a pen and paper, really. I suppose when you're when you're a kid uh, to to make make magic happen. Um, so design sort of came as an extension of that, uh, and just exploring that and and uh, being a little bit preoccupied, I guess. Um, you know, the, the the more you get into design, you realise it is uh, one part occupation, one part preoccupation. Uh, and yeah, I think the the uh, the, the interest was there uh, as well before the, uh, the the job was. Okay, thanks for that. Um, and obviously, you switched, as I said, from furniture design to graphic design. Um, why did you do that, and how easy was it? <laughs> uh, it's a little bit of a it was a little bit of a there and back again sort of situation. So, uh, my qualifications at uni were in in graphic design. Uh, but I, I was also um, doing a double major between graphic design and sculpture, and so furniture design came after uni as a way to try to merge those two disciplines. Um, the the material aspects of of working with solid wood and and um, other other materials as well uh, was was captivating enough to uh, distract me. Uh, so I, I went well in the other direction and, and ended up. Um, doing a lot of handmade sort of stuff um, and uh, then realised that basically there's there's, uh, there's not a lot of money in it. It's quite hard to come by. Uh, you know, for every nice piece of furniture you make, you end up making 10 fitted wardrobes. Um, so it was it was a case of steering back in the other direction. Uh, in terms of how difficult or easy it is, uh, I think it's no... I don't think it's any more difficult than any other kind of career transition. I think we're at a, at a time period where um, transitioning in and out of different careers is almost a given. Um, so it's, I don't know any other, any other way really. Okay. And when you graduated, how easy did you find it to get your first job? Uh, well, I'm, I mean, I kind of cheated there a little bit. Um, I ended up employed by the university I was at in my second year of uni. So it was a very gradual transition of just not showing up to classes anymore and still showing up to my job. Um, at the university, it couldn't have been more convenient. Um, but transitioning out of that, uh, my first role after that was was freelancing full time, uh, and that was, I mean, that was a little more difficult. Uh, learning to come to grips with all the financial stuff and um, 
you know, how to set up and, and run a business and the day-to-day operations and how much of a time sink that becomes. I don't think I was prepared for, for those sort of challenges. Um, but that was, that was definitely the main, the main challenge. The work is, the work is everywhere. Okay, thanks. And that's a theme we'll return to. And just before I come to Mike, um, you mentioned you uh, were freelance for a while. You're now working uh, for Oliver. Um, do you think you'll go back to freelance? I think I might go back to freelance insofar as a convenient way to earn beer money. Uh, I, I don't think it's something that I'd want to return to necessarily. Um, you know, it, it, it's one of those grass is always greener sort of situations. You, you look at other people who are making it work as freelancers and think, oh, wouldn't that be great? But then it doesn't, you don't have to dig deep to, to remember what it's like having to, you know, deal with, uh, deal with accountants and other, other folks and have, have to have your paperwork all in order. It's much easier to, um, to fill in a timesheet at the end of the day and and let the the finance team uh, deal with it. Yeah, and that's a really interesting uh, point you've raised there. And Mike, I know that's something that's close to your heart. Um, do you see that as being a significant challenge for young creatives today? Yeah, I, I do because I, I think the the world is so fluid at the moment, and a lot of the thinking around business is about 25, 30 years old. So, you know, if young people uh, go along to a business startup uh, organisation, they're likely to be asked first for their business plan. Now, they don't think necessarily in terms of business planning. They're creatives. And what we ask of people is for them to be, you know, all things business. We expect them to be accountants. We expect them to be bookkeepers. We expect them to be marketeers. Uh, we expect them to be administrators. And, of course, those skills are generally not packaged in the creative person. So what we're doing is we're thwarting, you know, people's creative skills and we're actually diminishing our national prospect for growth because growth is going to come from micro-businesses now. It's not going to come from great corporations. And we should really be opening the doors to a whole new wave of uh, small startups. And I think we're still putting people off because the default for people who are asking about your business ideas and your business plans is to make it as hard for people as possible. And if they pass this rigid test of questioning and, and you know being able to project five years ahead on their business plan, somehow they're deficient. And they're not. They're simply creative people who are probably 25, 30 years ahead of the thinking, the current thinking, the status quo. And that's what we need. We need people to disrupt, um, you know, our nation in a, in a very positive way. And, and I think we're thwarting at the moment. So I think it's very difficult for people uh, to go into business. And also, our schools are not, you know, they're not geared to a world of individuals, creatives, people looking to do something in their own right. Because, you know, you hear about employability over and over again. I don't want to prepare people for employment. I want to prepare people to be confident, to be able to walk tall and to be able to make their own imprint in the world. And there's something about compliance associated with our education still. Now, I wasn't compliant at school and I got chucked out at 15. You know, the fact that I was good with words, the fact that I was good on my guitar, the fact that I was good in the art class counted for nothing because maths 
and science were the core subjects. So I got expelled for being creative, effectively, and not being good at those core subjects because they did not interest me. And sitting in a classroom for an hour at a time, behind a desk, in rows, you know, a bit like an industrial revolution kind of model, and it still exists, it didn't suit me. And I think there are lots of people it doesn't suit. And they're often the creatives and the entrepreneurs, and they're somehow seen as outliers. And we need more outliers. I think that's true. Um, And we will return to that theme. But I want to just touch on the Scottish Design Exchange for a second. Um, And I wonder if you can just explain for the listeners a little bit more about that. And you describe it as a collaborative model of doing business. What exactly do you mean by that? Well, um, it was started by an amazing um, social entrepreneur, uh, entrepreneur, Lindsay Leroy. And she had this idea of opening a shop and getting lots of designers and craftspeople and artists um, to, to pay rent for a small display space. And thereafter, you know, th- th- that would employ people to do the selling um, so it allowed creative people to display and to mar- and to give them a decent marketplace. Now, a lot of the people who came in in the first round, uh, we've now got 120 artists and designers displaying and selling in Edinburgh. So they don't have to be in the shop. That's the first thing. So they can concentrate on what they're good at. Secondly, uh, they don't get charged commission. And a lot of them have got horrible experience. They've been charged 80%, 60% commission or having their stuff licensed where their name is removed from, you know, uh, any any of the sales the, the sales points. So it's a horrible environment for, for creatives. So she had this, this concept and I think it was quite difficult to sell initially because, you know, you're, you're saying to... It was Ocean Terminal in Edinburgh and they gave her a six months uh, grace on the rent. It was a hard to let space. And since then, uh, this, this is just under three years, uh, over £800,000 has been given to artists and designers. That's their earnings. Two have registered for VAT in the last few months, which means that their turnover has reached over 85000 Lots of people are, are earning a good living. They're able to focus on what they do. And they've got, you know, a reputation build as well. So it's been an astonishing success. Um, and it means that all the revenue from sale of their products goes directly into their pocket. So they are not business people, but what they are learning is, you know, how to, to create a micro-business. And sometimes it goes beyond micro-business. Some of these, there's, there's one extraordinary woman who started in the Scottish Design Exchange and she's taking old whiskey barrels and creating picture frames. I don't know if you've seen this. Yeah? She's now selling, you know, all over the world. She's turning over 350,000. That's in three years. And it started with the Scottish Design Exchange, this opportunity to go to market. So we are creating, you know, an economic impact. But there's something else about, you know, creatives. Often, they're quite isolated. They're prone to you know, mental health problems. So this is solving a number of different issues. The social impacts are clear. They join a community of other people. They get those things that often beset them done on their behalf. And thirdly, they're making money. Which is fantastic. 
We'll return to the theme we first spoke about after a short commercial break from you, Mike. Turn you and your business into a magnet. Extraordinary businesses are truly distinctive. They have a unique story and they tell that story so compellingly customers are captivated. To turn a great business into an extraordinary one, get in touch with me, Mike Stevenson. www.thinktastic.co.uk or find us on Twitter or Facebook. Mike, we were talking about how challenging it is for young creatives when they first start out. I guess what the SED is doing is taking away a lot of the pain points for them. It is. And, and you know, young designers, young creatives, uh, we've got a 92-year-old painter who sits in his little sheltered home and he paints all the time. In fact, I went to interview him and he's an extraordinary man. And after about half an hour, he said, you've interrupted my painting. <laughs> So, uh, you know, just so it is it is not just young. There's also people who are finding the creativity in, in later life. Uh, and we're going to be opening in Glasgow in the next few weeks. And it's going to be an even bigger store. And we expect to have, you know, up to 200 uh, artists and designers displaying there. So this is a model that's spreading. We then might look at Dundee and go further afield. I mean, there is something happening just now. And it is people like Lindsay, who set up the Scottish Design Exchange, who are disrupting the current marketplace. And if you think of retail, it's in decline. It's, you know, shops, empty shops, like, you know, gaping holes in a, in a you know, teeth missing. It's demoralising. And if you go to some of the small towns in Scotland, they are bereft of anything retail. And now we've got Marks and Spencer and Debenhams and House of Fraser, um, Mother Care. They're all under threat. So we need to find something different. And if you can, t- you know, bring small suppliers uh, straight to market and provide this opportunity, you could be doing it with food, you could be doing it with all sorts of goods. And I think it's something that um, we should never overlook, the economic and the social benefits of micro-businesses and what they bring to society. And um, I would just like to move on and ask you both, starting with yourself, Simon, um, designers and creative talents will always make mistakes when they're starting out uh, in this journey. What would you say are the biggest mistakes? Oh, I think Mike touched on it a little bit earlier. Um, the, the the mental health stuff is is incredibly uh, challenging. I mean, uh, speaking about the the, the freelance um, stints that I've done in the past, uh, it becomes so easy to to roll out of bed at half past seven in the morning, straight onto onto your computer, and then before you know it, it's it's ten p.m. You've you haven't changed out of your pajamas. You've you know eaten cereal out of the box all day long, um, and then it's you know you roll back into bed and it's it's time for to do it all again tomorrow um and you know if if that's something that you're uh that that is compatible with with your drive fantastic but i think for a lot of people it's absolutely not um and those those bad behaviors become so easy to to creep in uh when when you're working on your own um or you know doing any kind of freelance stuff um so 
that's that's a big challenge. Um, also, I the just uh, for for me it was paperwork. Uh, paperwork is is um, something I've you know always always kind of struggled with reading all those uh, even things simple things that should be simple like registering a business. Um, you know, it is all in legalese, and you need to read something three or four times before you actually understand the implications. And a lot of the time, it's it actually is simple. Um, and and if you have a a mentor or, or some kind of uh, support network there who can who can tell you in plain English, um, it's often much easier to to understand this stuff uh, when when you're just speaking to someone. I, I think we're, we're getting close to talking about learning styles here, where where um, you know it might be a might be a case that for a lot of creative people it, it is much easier to absorb information uh, when you when you're speaking to someone face to face rather than reading it or um, you know, I think that there's there's so many resources out there. Uh, finding them, finding them is the challenge um, a lot of the time, uh, and that that is only compounded when you are on your own. Um, so I think you know efforts efforts like you speak about uh, having design associations and, and having other places where people can can meet and be around other creatives um, is incredibly useful. Um, I think for for me those were the biggest challenges anyway. Okay, thanks. And you spoke about um, the importance of having somebody as a mentor um, sure. to guide you through that. Um, would you say that's the biggest tip um, for both of you? And are there any other tips that you would give to young, aspiring creatives who, who dream one day of, of going out on their own? In terms of other tips, I think it, it is such an individual pursuit that um, you, know, you, you do need to... Uh, you do need to forge your own path and, and trust in that sort of self-belief that's that's led you there in the first place. Um, and a, a key to that would be would be finding finding mentors. I, um, I don't think that can be the importance of, of a mentor can't be uh, overstated. And you you find mentors in unexpected places as well. Um, you know you, you've you've got a kind of um, suck the marrow out of out of every situation that you've that you've got uh, a lot of the time so uh, I think that there's there's almost a little bit of a trap there um, where you look for for mentors that are similar to you uh, whereas in my experience it's been the it's been the people who are most different from me who have who have brought the most value so speaking to people um, my my partner's father for example is uh, is a business consultant and so he's talk, forever talking about sigmoid curves and all sorts of other um, business ideas uh, that are totally applicable to, to the creative industries, but you don't hear about them. Um, so, so that kind of, those different thinking, those different experiences, having read different books, uh, you know, it all, it, the, the connections between those things are where, um, where real innovation and creativity lies a lot of the time is, is finding the gaps between disparate ideas. So, you, you know, don't be afraid to do that. Uh, in your in your creative pursuits and also in uh, just outside of them as well. Thanks, Simon. Um, anything to add, Mike? Well, I, I, I would like to go back to what Simon was. Uh, Simon says, I think you said bureauc- bureaucracy and legalese, and you know, should anyone be confronted with a language that is impenetrable? I really question the need for legalese to be in anything other than plain English. I write now, I speak and I write. And I can take 
any piece of information and turn it into something much more simple, much more accessible. Why can't we do that right across the board? And I've always before, I'm so right-brained, I'm surprised I don't fall to the right whenever I stand up. And I have always performed better when I've had someone beside me or a, or some kind of collaboration with someone who's an organisational person, you know, that left-brained. And I think the marriage between left and right is really important. And you're right about not going to people who do the same thing as you, um, because there will be people about who are extraordinarily valuable to you and you're extraordinarily valuable to them because they come from a different discipline and a different way of thinking. But we've got to remove, remove this hideous fog of information and, you know, form filling and endless uh, backing, toing and froing with forms and, and so much of it is unnecessary. That's why I say this. I know it's keeping people in jobs so I don't diss it because it's got employment uh, behind it. But it is useless and impenetrable. And, you know, when you are trying to do something, you want to get on with it. And we should not be holding people back. You know, if if we're putting people on a leash because they're, they're creatives, then, you know, the nation is being impacted in a negative way. And how do we break this? Well, I, I think that... that uh, in Sweden, there's a model. So I suppose the equivalent of our business gateway. And, you know, if you go in with an idea, they start with, what's your ambition? What do you want to achieve? They don't say, where's your business plan? Now, that's the way around. You don't go into business uh, with anything other than a desire to to give the world, you know, what you offer. And if you can make money from that, that's fantastic. But it doesn't start with a business plan. It starts with an idea. And what they do in Sweden is they will they will nurture uh, each micro-business or each young startup. You know, they back it with marketing. They back it with finance. They back it with administration. All those things needed to help a business, you know, get off the ground and then thrive. And I think that's really important. You know, when you're going to drive, you get into a car and, you know, someone sits beside you and you start driving, yeah? In business, uh, it's a bit like you have to read through and get the rules right first. So you're not doing what comes instinctively, which is learning by doing. You have to, you know, tick so many boxes before you even get off the blocks. And that's not what drives you. Thanks, yeah, and, and I totally agree with that. Um, I want to, to finish today with one final question, and... It's really uh, around the kind of skills that you both have. Um, I think it's fair to say that you have uh, a high degree of versatility. So Simon, um, you have the graphic design element, you have the furniture making. Uh, Mike, I know that Thinktastic does public speaking, consultancy, marketing services, design. Um, how important would you say uh, that versatility is for designers today? Well, I mean, I say this uh, fully understanding that um, you know I've I've kind of built my career around having having lots of lots of baskets and lots of eggs. Um, so I I think it's imperative. I think that um, you know one one thing strengthens the other as far as I'm concerned. So every every time I've I've picked up a new skill, uh, it's it's had impacts in in the other skill sets that I've thought of as 
sometimes being completely disparate. So things like things like learning to code or or learning learning new coding languages um, it completely reconfigures your brain, and so you you end up bringing those methodologies into uh, into the other work that you do, and 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 the different ways of thinking, um, they they all exist together. Uh, so I think that the the more you learn to do, um, in 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 seemingly disparate dis- disciplines, um, they all it's all uh, cyclical and it's all uh, one hand washes the other sort of territory. Um, yeah, rising tide lifts all boats. Any other platitudes I can throw at it, um, but. I mean, it's it's so true. I don't think that I've I've ever learned a skill or improved a skill that hasn't hasn't improved every other skill that it's connected to. Um, and I, you know, it, we Mike mentioned these sort of tacit um, learnings that you that you you get around um, around business as well. So you, you hear people talk about um, failing in in business and that being the the sort of key to future success. Um, and in some ways, this is the same thing. Anytime you, anytime you learn a piece of wisdom, uh, it's it's going to impact everything else. So I think it's it's absolutely imperative um, because it's the it's the fastest key to getting better. Uh, if you if you focus on one skill set, you're going to get those diminishing returns before you know it. Um, where you're putting in mountains of effort to just get incremental uh, improvement. So it's it's in a lot of ways, it's the it's the best shortcut. Is just learning something completely different. Thanks, Simon and uh, Mike. Yeah, I mean, I if, if I I talk in schools uh, now, and my whole um, approach is to empower young people from primary age through to secondary. And you know, you say the three things you need are creativity, adaptability, and confidence. And the employment market is going to change. Uh, things are going to move so fast that, you know, we have to be learning skills all the time. Everything I've learned has been kind of developmental. I've learned them because I had to learn them. I mean, at one stage I was sleeping out in London. So I learned about survival. Um, then I went into industry and I kept getting asked to be a union rep. And I was only 19, 20, 21. So uh, that's what I learned about speaking. Um, I played the, the guitar and I sang, and that's what I learned about stage presence. So our learning is constant. And as Simon says, I think there's a real... <laughs> I think there's a book in what Simon says, because the I have been... I found it very difficult to move the digital age, because when we were starting out uh, um, in design, you know, it was lecture set, it was hand-drawn... Uh, Nothing was done on computer. So then everything moved to the computer, and I love seeing a bit of both. You love, I love seeing uh, you know, designers working offline and then taking online. And so it's constant learning. And I think that what we, we need to be talking about is that you're never static. And you can never, ever say, I can't do that, or I'm not very good at that, because history is littered with people who have said, I can't, and didn't. And then you've got those that said, I can, and did. And Henry Ford said, you know, if I'd asked my customers, I would have created faster horses. And I think creatives are, you know, thinking ahead. 
Um, and creative isn't just about design. It's about writing. It's about, you know, um, looking at urban landscapes. It's about, uh, you know, using colour um, in all sorts of situations. It's about marrying up design with well-being. I mean, this is everything now. And if you look around our cities, we are so deficient in design. You know, my first uh, calling to this whole kind of business of design was when I was very young. Um, I lived in Pakistan for three years and I remember seeing the colours of the saris and the spices and it was just such bright colour. And then on the way back, we went to Naples and we were on the port. I mean, I was only six at this stage and, you know, seeing these little ballerinas turning uh, on jewellery boxes and, and I suddenly got this and I went to St Peter's Cathedral as well not to see the Pope but to see the design uh, and I was blown away by it and you come back to Scotland and there's something grey and beige about Scotland I think we need to change that you know because design impacts on our psyche whether you're creative or whether you're a you're a, a financier it's all about you know using those skills to make ourselves better, to make our environments better and to make communication much more intuitive. Thanks Mike and one final question for today. Um, in less than 30 seconds what message would you give to all those young creatives out there who dream one day of of becoming a success in their field? Simon. Jeez. Uh, well don't stop I think is the most important thing. All all these things, there's, there's nothing uh, divine about about creativity it's all it's all learnt it's all hard graft so don't stop thank you mike i think uh if you're going to fall fall forward because you'll make mistakes mistakes are learning points and don't ever believe that uh you know when you fall one day you can't get up the next day and 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 run faster a child falls on average 200 times when it's learning to walk it always gets up never lose that so thank you to Mike and Simon for sharing their stories with us today search AXA Business Guardian Angel for more real life stories business advice and practical guides and if you enjoyed this episode don't forget to subscribe subscribe